0: Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Cannan, and we're broadcasting live on December 12th from the studios of WMNF in Tampa. We're going to focus today on Florida's environment this hour. Later on in the show, we're going to hear that an effort to get a water referendum on Florida's ballot next year has fallen short, but we'll hear from organizers that their plan to get the right to clean water amendment on Florida's 2026 ballot instead. That's later on in the show, so I hope you stay tuned for that. But first up, we're going to hear about efforts to stop a proposed development in prime Florida panther habitat in eastern Collier County. It's called Belmar, and joining us now by Zoom to talk about this are Michael McGrath, who is Sierra Club's Florida lead organizer, and Marcella Zarita, a resident of eastern Collier County. She's active in issues concerning developments that might impact nearby wildlife and her neighbors. So I want to welcome you both to Tuesday Cafe, Michael and Marcella.
1: Hey, Sean, going to be here.
0: Well, thanks so much for joining us. So let's begin with the setting for what we'll be talking about. Tell us about how big and where is the proposed Belmar development?
1: Sure. Thanks for that, Sean. So um, Belmar is situated over in Eastern Collier County, right? And this is something that would add more than 4,000 homes. And also with it, uh, more cars onto our roadways within Eastern Collier County. Estimates say that there probably could could be up to 45,000 additional daily vehicle trips going through the rural roads um, here in this part of um, of Southwest Florida. Um, if, if just to provide some context, folks are trying to imagine where this is. It's only about a mile from um, the Florida Panther National Wildlife Refuge, If folks are familiar with um, the Ave Maria community situated right around there on Oilwell Road. Um, this is something that really um, right is in the heart of um, Panther habitat, um, right in the Western Everglades, um, and really is something that would be um, i from creating a new um, sprawling community, a cooper cutter community um, in Southwest Florida.
0: Yeah, And that's the voice of Michael McGrath, Sierra Club F- Florida lead organizer. We also have on our Zoom with us right now, Marcella Zarita, a resident of Eastern Collier County. So Marcella, maybe you could describe a little bit more about what is, w- what's this area like? Uh, there's, it's kind of rural, very rural, I would say. It's not far from the Everglades. There's a lot of wetlands. How else would you describe your community?
2: It's uh can you hear me?
0: Yes, you you sound fine.
2: Okay. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Um, well, I live on the rural area of the Golden Gate States and I am surrounded by all this public land and um it's a low density community and um we um surrounded by all this wildlife and um especially the Florida panther um and I actually, you know, they use our community to be able to go into the public lands. Um, and unfortunately we have all this um, sprawl because that's what these villages are um, here in Eastern Collier. It is the opposite, um, what the RLSA, um initially was uh, created for, um, you know, back in 1999, you know, the state, um, you know, everybody, you know, was content with uh, this preservation, how much land it was going to be preserved, um, you know, and within years, they changed that. It was never intense to have this much development in these insensitive areas.
0: And it's sensitive in part because it's wetlands, but also in part because the Florida panther—that's this—is the main area for where the Florida panther is. Michael, maybe you could describe um, what we know about where the panther lives and where it lives re- regarding this, develop, this proposed development, and how much room that panthers need to live.
1: Sure, thanks for that, Sean. Um, so yeah, I think it's really important folks realize that. The Flooded Panther um, utilizes a, a um, mosaic of public and also private lands, right? And also working lands, agricultural lands. So, you know, to the south of Belmar, um, we know we have on the Wood um, the Panther National Wildlife Refuge there. We also have the Big Cypress National Preserve and the Takahatchee Preserve. And then north of there, we also have um, various um, public lands as part of the crew um, lands, which are the close regional uh, watershed um, lands that are located within uh lee county and also collier county right so you can see that there is this this wildlife corridor right and that um really it's actually all these lands are actually part of the um this is this shared vision to create the florida wildlife corridor something that will go from the oak swamp all the way down to the western everglades right so these are these are critically important lands and we know from what from the state agencies and their research using um telemetry data right which is basically the radio callers that go on the panthers that this is um these are lands that um the panthers utilize um very regularly, right? Um, you know, if, if Belmar was developed, right? And again, I, I can't underscore this enough, Belmar is 100% in the primary panther zone habitat and also 100% in the Florida wildlife corridor. There's estimates that it would take about three to four panthers per year, right? And then, you know, when you add to the fact that we're also adding all these different um, uh, road, um, cars on, on the roadways and in an the, the area where there's not as much frequent traffic because um, there's not people out there already. Um, we're going to see more and more vehicular collisions with the Florida panther. This year alone, according to FWC, there's already been um, 13 documented panther deaths. Um, so, we you know, if we continue to do things like this, um, we're going to see that number um, increase in, in the years to come.
0: So, four thousand potentially four thousand homes in this area that's prime panther habitat. But you're part of several environmental groups who have filed for a temporary restraining order.
1: That's correct. That's correct. Yes. So, um, the EPA, I'm, I'm sorry, earth justice on behalf of Sierra club and also the center for center for biological diversity, um, uh, made a motion for a temporary screening order, um, for the two, um, 404 wetland permits that we were trying to challenge for two different developments. So the first ones we're talking about right now with, um, with Belmar, right. The other one is another development, um, over in, um, in southeastern Lee County, um, near, again, those on um, this crew lands, I was referring to earlier, um, called Kingston. Right. And basically, um, our, our, our hope is that, you know, it will be briefed and also argued in court in the coming months and help delay um, the permitting of these, these, uh, these developments.
0: Our guests are Michael McGrath, Sierra Club Florida lead organizer, and Marcella Zarita, a resident of eastern Collier County. And we're talking about proposed development in Florida panther habitat. Just a reminder that coming up later in the show, we're going to hear about an effort to add the, to the Florida Constitution a right to clean water. This is Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canaan, and we're broadcasting from the studios of WMNF in Tampa. And just a moment ago, Michael, you asked, you, you mentioned something called a 404 wetlands permit. So for those of us who aren't familiar with that term, what is that? Sure. So a
1: 404 um, wetlands permit basically is something that... Um, that you have to get through, um, the, through FDEP, Forest Department of Environmental Protection, right, in order to um, develop a private property of land, right? Um, it basically takes into consideration um, the impact that it would have if you were to dredge and fill that wetland and also create a new development. What's really important for the audience to understand is that this used to be a program that was was actually federally um, administered by the EPA and also by the Army Corps of Engineers um, back during the, the waning days of the Trump administration. Um, they actually transferred the authority of the 4 for, for wetland, wetland Program actually to the state, to FDEP. And really, this was a gift for developers, right? Um, it actually has helped to actually streamline the processing of this and also make it easier for them to have to have federal oversight with um, trying to get these um, 4 for, for, for Wetland Permits. And we know the reason why this is done, because developers are lining the pockets of the current leadership within um, at federal levels at the time and also um, within within the state here in Florida as well. And basically, it's it's a way for The way that the the rules been set up makes it easier for developers to actually um, get authorization to dredge and fill wetlands, as we see on places like Belmar, so that they don't have to have as much red tape um, for um, for trying to um, develop these very ecologically sensitive lands.
0: I want to bring Marcella back into this conversation and um, Marcella this the 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 proposed development it's called Belmar it's in the neighborhood where you live n- near the neighborhood where you live in East Collier County this rural area which is near the Florida wildlife corridor and near it's completely in uh, Florida panther habitat. So um, would you be concerned about increased traffic there and potentially more vehicle strikes with panthers and, and other damage to wildlife in your neighborhood?
2: Um, Absolutely. Um, We have actually already had the issue. Uh, We have brought out to the county, um, um, county and every single meeting that they have for for these villages river grass um that immaculate road our area it's not even our schools are overcrowded um you know and it, it just you know it, it can't support this much traffic that they're planning to bring and especially where uh, you know, the Panthers are, you know, like the hotspots for like, for example, Mockley Road Village, that's another village that they're trying to build that right in the middle heart of uh, the Corsica Swamp, all these land um, that are surrounded to it. And there, it's a hotspot for Panthers and they're planning to build with the high density. You continue to rezone change um, to, so, to make sure that the developers make a profit they say very openly at, at the meetings, at the public meetings, you know, that as it right now, you know, it's not probable. So they change the rules, they change all this stuff, rezoning to make it profitable for the developers. Um, you know, and one thing they forget, is that, you know, wildlife, it's a public trust, you know, they're supposed to protect it. You know, we gave them that, we put them on in that position to, you know, listen to the public. I remember the meeting at the River Grass Village, which was the first one that started all this villages after that, you know, that room, they have to open the third floor because it was full of people against this project. But the commissioners, they ignore it. And, you know, there's the data. They were supposed U.S. Fish and Wildlife, you know, they were supposed to do a study every five years you know, for the endangered, for the Panthers, and they haven't done it, but yet they continue, you know, not uh, authorizing, giving permits. And I hope that this time, I mean, because there is no other place left for them. This is it. This is the last place for the Florida Panthers. And it is a concern, not just for the uh, Floridians, but it should be a concern for, because it's in a a species that it's close to an extension, and this will be a jeopardy um, project. Um, and I hope that that they, their permit gets denied.
0: That's Marcella Zarita, a, restern, oh, a resident that is of Eastern Collier County. We are also speaking with Michael McGrath, Sierra Club Florida lead organizer. We're talking about a proposed development in Florida Panther habitat. This is Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan, broadcasting from the studios of WMNF in Tampa. The developer told the Naples Daily News, th- he said this, Collier Enterprises is dedicated to being good stewards of the environment and has committed to preserving 12,000 acres of high-quality wildlife habitat as part of the town of Big Cypress, Belmar Village, and River gla- Rivergrass Village projects. So, Marcella, th- there will be these 12,000 acres that will be protected. So, that's, that's, uh, w- um, isn't that a, a, a good thing?
2: It'll be a good thing if, um, if it will be elsewhere, not right next to a refuge of an animal that it's close to go to an extension. I mean, there is no conservation if it leads to extension. I mean, if we're paving the way, we know that this place, I mean, the Conservancy have gave them options where it would be best. You know, the the Panthers, they don't know that they have to go to the specific um, areas that they're supposed because that's what we are signing to. They don't know that if they're building a primary panther habitat, you know, the wildlife, they don't know that I live in this area. I see the wildlife kill road every morning. Uh, every time when I come back from work, there is no wildlife crossing. They're working on some of them. But, you know, I, I recall in one of the meetings for the Immaculate Road Village, you know, at the last minute the applicant they did change and did not want uh you know they they agreed at the beginning that they will assist with the wildlife crossing and then at the last minute for the voting they back up so it, it's you know it, and besides the crossings as well so they don't um they do it either at the end of a project and not at the construction at uh, the beginning I mean the location it's bad I mean you you like I said you cannot say that you're uh you know you're gonna conserve this much land and you know while you're building a mainland if you go if you look at the satellite this area it's dark there's it's black like you won't see anything else this is where all the wildlife is and you know and like I said they don't know that it's you know, you're going to be building. We're, we're talking about the possibility of being tw- uh, twice the size of Florida, you know. Uh, and so what are we doing? We're just going to save a little bit of pits of land while we're destroying the majority of it. You know, th- that's something that we got to think because it's not about right now. It's about future generations because the Panthers, you know, just not. the. If, if you look at into a whole picture of what we what the people before me, you know, um, did everything to conserve this. It's also their habitat. It's also what it gives us, you know, um, and and that's one thing that I think that we need to take account as well, saving the Florida Pantry, saving us as well for future generations.
0: So so a few times in this conversation, we've talked about potentially the the Florida panther going extinct with uh, increased development in in southwest Florida. But maybe, um, Michael, you can tell us about what do we know about population numbers for the Florida panther and habitat uh, needs and where where the direction of the Florida panther population is going?
1: Sure. So, um, which we we'll say around the panther, but there's maybe around 120 to 230 panthers left in the wild. Um, I think when we're talking about endangered species that is so significant and special as the Florida panther, we're talking about the, um, you know, and the support ecosystem still today, right. We should only be erring on the side of caution, right. We'll use the lower estimates field field to inform our biological opinions about, you know, the, the recovery of the Florida of, of the species. Um, but frankly, the biological opinion that are released by um, Fish and Wildlife, sort of the other development that be happening in addition to Belmar within the region, talking about um, Lee County, Hendry County, Glades County, and Collier County. Right? All of these communities have um,
0: Michael, you seem to have some buffering problems. Yeah. Maybe if you turned your video off, your audio might Improve. Sorry to interrupt you there, but um, we'll come back to you. And let's go right now to Marcella. And um,
1: we, I'm being recorded next Thursday, right? Let's ask
0: Marcella about the uh, a development that Michael mentioned earlier, and it's called Kingston. So, so far, we've been talking mostly about this Belmar proposed development, but what do you know about the Kingston development that's proposed?
2: Um, I know a little bit um, that that's another project that it's a big no-no in my opinion, um, because the same thing, the problem right now, what we're going through with having all these communities and high density being built is that there is not enough um, contribution from the developers when it comes to schools, traffic, environment, there's a lot of uh, things that haven't changed, and I think that all this is coming now to Florida. Um, not that it was planned, because if we go back to the initial plans, it's the contrary for what was presented to the public. Um, I think that the big, um, the big issue here is that not, there's we don't have uh, like a department to oversee these projects. Um, I think. You know, once got, when at the time he was the government, you know, he dismantled the Department of Community Affairs, you know, that was the Florida's growth management uh, law where, you know, it would uh, go over everything, traffic, schools, wildlife, endangered species, the water quality, all that stuff. And we don't have that. Every time we go to these meetings as the public, every time we go, it's always the same issue. You know, and there is no solution. We just continue building, and um, so yeah. I, I mean, this is another um, urban sprawl. Just it's just sprawl, and it, it doesn't. It's just a profit for the developers, in my opinion.
0: <laughs> Our guests are Marcella Zarita, a resident of Eastern Collier County, and Michael McGrath, Sierra Club Florida lead organizer. We're talking about a. Proposed Development in Florida Panther Habitat in Southwest Florida in Collier County. I want to remind people that coming up later in the show, we're going to hear about an effort to add to the Florida Constitution a right to clean water. This is Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan. We're broadcasting from WMNF. And Michael, we can, let me ask you about other species that might be impacted if there's more development there in Southwest Florida. Tell us about the crested caracara and um, how it's, it might be impacted by less habitat and, and other uh, issues concerning development.
1: Sure. Are you able to hear me okay?
0: Yeah, you sound great. Thanks.
1: Okay, great. So yeah, on the Belmar site, there is actually a um, documented uh, case of two um, breeding pair, a a pair of breeding caracara um, on the site, right? And um, if this were to go through, um, they would lose um over half of their foraging um, habitat site that they actually need to actually sustain themselves. Right? This is having those, those forage sites and locations is extremely important for the carrot care, so that they can actually continue to maintain their, their healthy level of fitness. So they can continue to um, to to breed and have offspring to so basically maintain a healthy population. If you take away this forage site, they're going to create more interspecies conflicts with other carrot care in the in the region, and they, and they also won't. will continue to. Um, numbers. So um, this is just another example of a, of a really iconic and also a special species of, of great concern here in Florida that's, um, you know, only found here um, in our state. And with, the, with the, every with the year passing, its range becomes um, more and more encroached upon by development.
0: And earlier you mentioned the Florida Wildlife Corridor, which is a proposed uh, area of nature from the, the north to south Florida how close is this development to that proposed uh, wildlife corridor and how would development of of this B- belmar proposed B- belmar development how would that impact whether or not the uh, florida wildlife corridor it becomes a reality
1: sure so for, for folks who weren't here earlier in the conversation um, i just want to again underscore that um, belmar is 100% within the florida wildlife corridor right It's something that um you know, state leadership both from the governor and also the legislature have made a priority for florida to help connect um, our our mixed uh mosaic of public and also private lands so we can make sure that this is something that's enjoyed by all floridians for generations to come um you know this is this is this development is 100 um, percent primary panther habitat right and i think it can't be underscored enough that you know when you look at the landowner who is trying to develop this collier enterprises they do have land that they own the title to that is actually outside of the Florida Wildlife Corridor, right? So if they wanted to be, be- better stewards of the, of the land, right, and actually do things that would be good for conservation ethic and helping to secure the shared vision for um, the Florida Wildlife Corridor, they should be developing lands that are outside of that, right? And this is this is good for a myriad of reasons also, right? Um, because this is also going to be putting people closer to um, the urban centers where the jobs are, right? And also will allow, this, allow them to create uh, more affordable and also workforce housing as well, in that part of um, of, 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 uh, of Collier County in southern Florida. Right? We shouldn't be causing more burdens for, for our residents to have these long commutes if they're trying to look for affordable housing or also for um for, for more places to live. We should be putting them close to their urban core so we can cut down on that transit um time and also uh, commute times for folks and not have folks spend more money on gas and also uh, their appreciating um, car uh, upkeep.
0: We're speaking right now about the... Uh, potential Florida panther habitat being destroyed by a proposed development in southwest Florida. And we're broadcasting from the studios of WMNF in Tampa live on December 12th here. And we have a couple of emails we can read you're listening to Tuesday at Cafe. I'm Sean Canaan. First of all, Rich in Brooksville comments on something that Marcella was talking about earlier. He says that light pollution is real and it wipes out insects, animals, and wildlife in general. We need to take it very seriously. So thanks for that comment, Rich. And then Leslie points out that the Path of the Panther, the, the show from Carlton Ward Jr., just opened at the FMOPA, And the reception is tonight from 6 to 8 is what Leslie is telling us. So thank you for the, those two emails that came in. And as we wrap up this segment of the show, perhaps, Marcella, maybe you can tell us if there are any meetings that are coming up or any hearings, uh, if any decisions will be made soon. Marcella or Michael could weigh in on that. Um,
2: meetings in regards to... Just Belmar or in regards to the projects around? Yes,
0: yeah, so any of the developments, are there hearings or, or public meetings coming up?
2: Um, we're waiting on the Mockley Road Village, which is near the Corsacruz Swamp Sanctuary, the uh, Florida Catwalk, um, and all these public lands. We're waiting for, because they're also waiting for a four permit from the state. Um, and then we, uh, that's the one that I know of, um, that I'm waiting because I, I was following up with this permit for a while. And, um, and, and that, because that really concerns me because that one has the hotspot for the, Florida Panthers and, um, they do it. They did so much changes in the calendar level. Um, and so that's the one that I'm, um, looking, um, and following up on.
0: Well, i thank you. It's
2: right behind my backyard.
0: <laughs> well, I want to thank you both for coming on WMNF's Tuesday Cafe, Michael and Marcella. Exactly, having yeah. me, Sean,
1: appreciate it.
2: Thank you for having
0: us. Thank you. Michael, Michael McGrath is Sierra Club Florida lead organizer, and Marcella Zarita is a resident of eastern Collier County who's active in issues concerning developments that might impact nearby wildlife and her neighbors, and we've been talking about a proposed Collier County development called Belmar in Florida panther habitat. You're listening to Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan. Right now we're going to turn to our, our next topic, and that is Florida water. An effort to get a water referendum on Florida's ballot next year has fallen short, but organizers plan to get the right to clean water amendment on Florida's twenty twenty six ballot instead. And so joining us right now are Captain Carl Digert, De- the Chair of the Florida Political Action Committee, Florida, Right to Clean and Healthy Water, and Joseph Bonassia, the Chair of the Florida Rights of Nature Network. Welcome back to Tuesday Cafe, Carl and Joseph.
3: Oh, my pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, thanks so much for joining us. I've already um, gotten to the news that your proposed amendment won't be on next year's ballot, but we should back up a bit and start with, let's say, Carl, if you if it does eventually become state of, part of the state constitution, what would the right to clean and healthy waters amendment say and do in Florida?
4: So what this will do, it will give legal standing to every citizen in the state of Florida who hold the state executive agencies accountable um, for uh to make sure that they do the job that we hired them to do, it's not about monetary reward or seeking damages. Um, it just the courts will compel the state executive agencies to enforce the laws that are already existing to prevent ha- to stop harm or to prevent harm to our waters.
0: Essentially, um, it would give Floridians the legal standing to sue to protect the right to clean water if a state agency harms or threatens to harm Florida waters.
4: Yeah, so this is going to, this is a constitutionally guaranteed fundamental right. This, this right to clean water will carry the same weight as the freedom of speech, freedom to religion, even to bear arms. It's at that level of uh, law, and it will um, supersede um, a lot of the existing regulations and um, legislature. It also provides a framework for the legislature in their decision-making process. They will have to first reference the state constitutional amendment for clean water in every decision they make regarding water quality uh, throughout the state
0: and until recently you had been gathering signatures trying to get the initiative on next november's ballot but joseph will turn to you in an opinion column last week you noted that those efforts had fallen short but that you had plans to take the efforts that you've made so far and push for 2026 instead does that give you a better chance to hit the nearly million signatures that you'd need next time?
3: Um, yes, it does. We would not be starting from scratch again. I mean, petitions would go to zero, but we have a level of a public awareness that we did not have when we launched on Earth Day back in 2022. We would have uh, the public records list of the 115,000 people who have already signed Uh, with adequate funding we can do a mail campaign and have those folks sign right away we have also attracted the attention of professionals who think that what we have accomplished on purely volunteer efforts and what was a shoestring budget quite extraordinary so they're looking to help us out with their um, expertise with sufficient funding Uh, we feel very good about our prospects for 2026.
0: And you mentioned that the petitions would go to zero. So that brings us to a recent change that was imposed by the Florida legislature to the time frame for signature gathering. How did that impact your efforts, and, and what was that change that we're talking
3: about? Okay. Well, years ago, prior to 2011, you had uh, four years in order to collect the required number of petitions. In 2011, the legislature changed that. They cut it in half. So now we've got two years to collect approximately 900,000 petitions. It is an intimidating task, but still doable with sufficient public uh, awareness. The challenge really isn't convincing Floridians uh, to pass a fundamental right to clean and healthy waters. The challenge is simply getting enough of them to know about the petition so they can sign it so we can qualify and get on the ballot. There certainly is a history in Florida of Floridians supporting environmental initiatives. So we're very confident that once we're on it, we're going to uh, pass with flying colors. It's just getting the resources, the financial resources, um, the man hours and such to get those 900000 signed and verified petitions. And the legislature obviously was looking to discourage success in that regard.
0: That's Joseph Bonassi, a chair of the Florida Rights to Nature Network. We're also speaking with Captain Carl Deigert, chair of the Florida Political Action Committee, Florida Right to Clean and Healthy Waters. We're talking about a constitutional amendment push that they're making now for the 2026 ballot for a right to clean water in Florida. This is Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canaan. And uh, Carl, let me ask you this, that in, in an opinion article that you wrote in the last year or two, You said that over 9,000 miles of our waterways and 80% of our springs are now classified as impaired. What does that mean?
4: So through state monitoring, our own state agencies are telling us that these water bodies have become uh, polluted. They like to use the word impaired, but um, I'm not one for euphemisms. Um, Let's call it what it is. Um, Our waters are unsafe. Um, we have harmful algae green, blue green algae blooms in Lake Okeechobee, actually across almost every lake in the state of Florida. We have these blooms now. Um, we have the most polluted lakes in the entire United States, uh, per square, um, most square miles of polluted lakes in the entire United States. So our water quality is at a point of essentially no return. If we don't get a handle on, um, the sources of pollution, we will not be able to reverse the damage that's already been done. The money that the legislature throws into the water quality programs is about remediation. That whole paradigm of trying to fix it needs to stop and we need to start moving towards prevention. And the only way that's going to happen is as we create this law to um, compel the agencies to do that very thing, to stop the pollution at the sources.
0: Our guests are Captain Carl Dygert, chair of the Florida Political Action Committee, Florida Right to Clean and Healthy Waters, and Joseph Banassia, who is chair of the Florida Rights of Nature Network. We're talking about a constitutional amendment push that they're making for the 2026 ballot. This is Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canaan, and we're broadcasting from the studios of WMNF in Tampa, and we're live on December 12th. So if you have any thoughts, you can give us a call, 813-239-9663. You can email us at dj at wmnf.org, or text 813-433-0885. Here are a couple of emails that have come in in the last few minutes. Uh, Paul, CP from Palmetto is referring to the previous story, who and he says that you will see that CE, which is Collier Enterprises, has been screwing over Florida for decades from oil drilling rights to development. So that's the opinion of CP in Palmetto talking about our previous topic about the de- proposed development in southwest Florida, and Eric from Riverview says, "Clean water. the clean water amendment is great. How will this guarantee the state legislature implements it with a track record of the Republican majority not implementing previous amendments? I feel this will never happen. I would have signed the petition had I known about it. Not sure why this is the first time I'm hearing about it. So that's from Eric in Riverview. What can you say, either Carl or Joseph, um, what's the track record for and how, how would you be certain that the Florida legislature would actually implement this amendment if it becomes part of the Florida Constitution?
4: Well,
3: once once it's part of the Constitution, that's the law of the land. State agencies do not have the discretion to ignore the state constitution. This is a fundamental right of the people. A court could compel the state agencies to do what they must do in order to protect the right of the people. Um, That pretty much was a quote that I was using from a court case in New York, one of their first uh, Green Amendment court cases, where the DEP up there uh, was being taken to task by the court, and the judge said, state agencies do not have the discretion to ignore the state constitution. Same thing down here. I also want to note that this is a self-executing law. It does not need any further legislation, run the legislature to implement it. When the people pass it, it's effective.
4: I'd like to add to that, um, the authors of our amendment language, they uh, assembled previous successes and previous failures for constitutional amendments. They went over this language word by word for several months to ensure that it will pass um, and self-execute. Um, without uh, any input from any uh, legislature's uh, action.
0: You're both part of the Florida Rights of Nature Network. I'd like to find out what that means, rights of nature.
4: Take that one, Joe.
3: Okay. Uh, yes, this is a uh, actually a global movement. And a couple of years ago, back in 2020, actually, Florida made history when Orange County voters amended their state amended their county charter to give legally recognized rights to all their waterways. Every waterway had the right to exist, to flow, to be free of pollution, and to maintain a healthy ecosystem. Right now, nature has has no rights, and so it is it is at a great disadvantage in courts of law. So the thinking behind rights of nature is that uh, like other rights movements, it would provide the protections we need. It's worth noting that corporations have lots and lots of rights that people have. And it just um, balances things in the courts for nature to have those rights as well.
4: Yes, so I'd like to point out um about the rights of nature success in Orange County, you know, that was enacted by uh, 89% of the voters in Orange County, um, bipartisan support for um, to give rights to waters themselves. Um, That case has been tested, um, but just prior to the people of Orange County um, deciding that this was the best law for their community, Our own state legislature preempted the creation of rights of nature laws throughout the state about three months prior to the Orange County success. So we're now um, the folks in Orange County at Speak Up Okiva are um, appealing the decision to um, that um, is allowing a developer to tear up 115 acres of wetlands in the first test case for rights of nature in the United States. So we're trying to have that preemption reversed, and, uh, and hopefully that will happen because after we accomplish the right to clean water, we hope to extend these um, environmental protections to nature itself.
3: Uh, Sean, I would like to add to that as well. Go ahead, it, was that, it was that preemption that compelled us to launch this initiative to amend the state constitution. That was not our original intention. We were a network of these local initiatives. The legislature put the kibosh on that, which is why we're doing what we're doing now. I think it's also worth noting that the legislature must believe that a rights based approach to environmental protection would be very effective or else it would not have enacted that preemption.
0: Our guests are Joseph Bonassi, a chair of the Florida Rights of Nature Network, and Captain Carl R. Digert, the chair of the Florida Political Action Committee called Florida Right to Clean and Healthy Waters. And we're talking about a constitutional amendment push that they're making for the 2026 ballot this is Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan, and we're broadcasting from the studios of WMNF Tampa. We're live on December 12th, and so we're going to take some calls right now. If you have thoughts about this, you can give us a call at 813-239-9663. You can email dj at wmnf.org, or you can text 813-433-0885. And Carl in Clearwater wants to ask about the de- how the declining water quality impacts Florida businesses. Go ahead, Carl.
4: So I'm, I have personally um, I'm been affected. totally in support of this group and their work.
3: Um, I, I think we're not spending enough time and energy educating people about the long-term consequences of declining water quality. And its effect on business, it, it's going to have a huge negative effect on business over, over the next 10, 20 years.
4: Thank you.
0: If you'd like to go ahead, Carl.
4: Yes, so um, he's absolutely right. Um, I believe water quality, um, water quality is what makes Florida our blue economy. Um, It's the tens of billions of dollars are brought into the state each year because people come to visit and, and enjoy our clean waters. Um, I personally um, was financially impacted. Uh, the red tide of 2018, I owned a waterfront motel, small mom and pop, just four rooms, and uh, in Lachey, Florida, and from which I conducted boat tours out to the barrier islands of Cayo Costa and Captiva. That red tide event took my businesses to zero. The businesses on Fort Myers Beach, Sanibel, uh, became ghost towns. Uh, the employees of these businesses were standing in food lines because they had no wages coming in. Um, yes, I believe uh, deteriorating water quality will uh, eventually and imminently uh, bring a economic collapse to the state of Florida if we don't get a handle on it.
3: Sean, I, I would just I would just say that there was a study done about that 2018-2019 red tide. It cost Southwest Florida 184 million dollars in direct tourist dollars and 305 million indirect dollars. So um, the fact that it that poor water quality poor poor water quality affects our economies down here is is absolutely clear.
0: And we'll get to more phone calls in a second. So, DeAndre and John, hang tight. We'll get to you in a moment. I want to read some of these emails that have been coming in as well and just remind people that our guests are Captain Carl Digert, chair of the Florida Political Action Committee, Florida Right to Clean and Healthy Waters, and Joseph Bonassia, the chair of the Florida Rights of Nature Network. David writes in, he asks, would this proposed amendment help to address the problems from leaky septic tanks and David says he thinks a lot of poo ends up in our aquifer from all the septic tanks in rural areas and cities like Spring Hill. Uh, any thoughts about how how uh, leaky septic tanks would be impacted by an amendment like this?
4: So, a municipality with, um that's mainly septic and has not moved to sewering, um, central sewering, um, if those septic tanks are harming the local waters. Um, An action, even the municipality could litigate with the state executive agencies to compel them to find the funding to sewer their communities. Um, Again, this is not about seeking damages. It's just so um, in the court could tell that agency, probably the DEP or the border management district, um, they're going to say that they don't have the funding to do this. If we had the funding, they would have done it already. Right. So they're going to cry poor they're going to say that we don't have the money to make these conversions to sewer the courts will compel these agencies to go find it do something do something but you got to you got to make this this is a fundamental right it's being violated and you need to fix it so it's very powerful
0: and Sarah from Tampa is is asking, do we have to sign a person, a, a petition in person, a physical pe- petition, or can we sign an online petition? And maybe that would um, that also leads to a, a second part of that question, which could be are, th- are you taking petitions now or is there a certain window I- at which your petition gathering will start again?
3: So uh, unfortunately, the state does not permit electronic signatures. So every petition must be a hard copy with what they call a wet signature, blue or black ink. We launched, as I said, uh, back on Earth Day in 2022. We are just now, really, at the end of uh, November, suspending our petition gathering efforts. We're not close enough to, uh, really, to merit continuing our efforts anymore. But we are, you know, redesigning. Uh, retooling a campaign, and we intend to relaunch again in February. So those people who signed petitions over the last 18 months or so, they will have to sign the new petition when it launches
4: again in uh, later on in the winter. Yeah, the, Our legislature makes this as difficult as possible. All the signatures we've collected to date are now null and void going into the next election cycle. So please, people, if you signed the first time, sign again. Uh, we're going to need your signatures again, and I want you to take five petitions and hand them out to all your neighbors.
0: Let's go back to the phone lines. Uh, DeAndre's been waiting for a while. Hi, DeAndre. What would you like to say?
5: I want to thank, uh, thank you and the, the guests uh, for this forum. It's terribly important. Um, I also want to ask a couple questions. One, is there a history listing and then there, like updates on a uh, front uh, uh, had on the water um, when it comes to different uh, governments, whether it's municipal, county, and then state. I'm thinking about um, a construction uh, uh, issues on the Hillsborough and downtown now a few years ago. But then as well, it seemed like uh, the, the, the governor at the time uh, a few years ago also uh Raise the the rate of uh, pollution permitted in uh, waters, whether it were standing or flowing waters. And then, uh, secondly, um, are there any interesting renewable uh, industries like the floating uh, the floating farms uh, or, or the such that uh, has caught uh, your organization's attention that you feel is worth mentioning? Um, for people to kind of get excited about.
0: All right. Thanks, DeAndre.
5: Projects across
4: the state um, working to improve water quality. Um, And there's a lot of good stuff out there, technology. The problem with technology and ways to fix our uh, waters is that the technology is very difficult to scale, to filter or to sequester the nutrients from trillions of gallons of water. So there are technologies that work, um, but they really cannot be scaled to the level soon enough, quick enough, efficiently enough to make a difference. We have to stop the pollution at the sources.
0: Thanks for the call, DeAndre. And a reminder that if you're listening live on December 12th, you can call us at 813-239-9663. You can email dj at wmnf.org, or you can text 813 433 0885. And uh, while we're, um, one of the questions that I wanted to ask our guests here has to do with a water battle that our audience may be familiar with, and that's the application for a permit to take about a million gallons of water a day from the Ginny Springs complex in North Florida so that it can be bottled for sale by a company that's now known as Blue Triton, but it used to be called Nestle. The Florida Springs Council tweeted recently that the Suwannee River Water Management District will vote this morning on whether to follow a recent recommendation by a judge who ruled in favor of the company Seven Springs to allow the pumping uh, I was watching a little bit of that meeting before the show here. I, I saw a county commissioner up there g- get up and say that taking a million gallons of day of water a day out of the Suwannee River was like taking a teaspoon out of the river. Is that's what this county commissioner had said? So let me ask my guests what could what could that mean for water flow and the quality of water and the environment near Ginny Springs in North Florida?
3: Well, we already know that it's having a de- detrimental impact, which seems common sense to most everybody. Uh, It certainly resonated with 19,000 residents, citizens who made public comments about this particular case. The vast majority were in opposition to this permit. Uh, One of the things that is interesting about this case is that the Florida Springs Council argued two things. Number one, that this level of consumption is known to hurt the aquifer and the springs, and therefore, would not be in the public interest. And number two, that these 19,000 comments represented the public interest. The court rejected both of those arguments. Uh What is also particularly interesting here is that in Florida, we do not have a good definition of what the public interest is. It is not defined in our state constitution. Our legislature has not defined it, nor has our Department of Environmental uh, Protection. So it was a surprising, I think, uh, decision that came uh, down from the court, surprising certainly to those 19,000 people.
4: So when an environmental resources permit is, uh, intended to be issued by the Florida department of protection. Um, there's a public hearing or there's a public comment period, um, before a, um, DOA or a, um, administrative hearing a, a judge and they always apply this concept of public interest, but there, the legislature has never defined it. And then when they apply it, those that need to meet the public interest have no definitions or uh hard facts that they need to prove that they've met it um i've been recently uh involved in a case in cape coral florida to prevent um harming of the waters through the removal of a boat lock and the seven points of public interest are will the activity adversely affect public health and safety Will the activity adversely affect the conservation of fish and wildlife, including endangered species? Will the activity affect navigation and the flow of water leading to harmful erosion? Uh, and will it adversely affect fishing, recreation values and marine productivity, such as scalloping and, and oystering? And is the uh, activity permanent or temporary? So that's just five of their seven points that they use. But um, it's real easy to uh, apply to Jenny Springs that overconsumption of these waters that are finite, they're not infinite, um, can, is not in the public interest. But uh, the, you know, the DEP moves ahead and issues a permit. And what permits do is make that illegal activity of taking that water for profit and greed and making it an illegal activity. That's what our permitting system does.
0: Well, let's try to squeeze in a phone call here uh, from John in Port Ritchie. Hi, John, what would you like to say?
3: Hey, real quick, two things. I like the idea that the environment is a a person, so would that be a federal amendment or a state amendment? The second thing is, I don't know if you're familiar with these conservative courts using this concept, this legal concept of... uh, It's not historical evidence that these things existed, and they've been overturning various laws based on this historical reference, and they're going back to this constitutional originality stuff. So where in the Constitution does it say corporations are people? Where is that an original text or original thought by the Founding Fathers? And can we challenge that based on that historical precedent?
0: All right. Um, Thank, thank you, John. And uh, um, we're, we have to separate make sure we separate the ideas of the federal Constitution from the state constitution of Florida, which is what your amendment would be, Carl and Joseph.
3: Yes, so we were... Correct. And, and, and the gentleman caller is talking about granting rights to nature and that uh, there are other countries that have it in their federal constitution. we do not. There are some places in the country, townships and municipalities that have done it. No state constitutions that I know of at this point. They could be there, they would be very powerful if placed there.
0: Well, I want to thank you both for coming on. But before I let you go, why don't you let us know where people can find out more about the Florida Right to Clean and Healthy Waters and the petition drive that you'll be starting again in February. Where can people find that information?
3: They can go to to floridarighttocleanwater.org.
0: And we're going to put a link to that on the WMNF.org website. So I want to thank you very much for coming back on WMNF's Tuesday Cafe, Carl and Joseph.
4: Thanks for bringing right, thanks. The awareness. We really appreciate it. Yeah, yes, thank, thank you for having
0: us. Thanks so much for coming on. Captain Carl Digert is the chair of the Florida Political Action Committee called Florida Right to Clean and Healthy Waters. And Joseph Benassia is chair of the Florida Rights of Nature Network. They hope to add a question to Florida's 2026 ballot for a constitutional right to clean water. And I also want to thank our previous guests, Michael McGrath and Mar- Marcella Zarita. And if you missed either of these interviews, the videos should be published on WMNF.org early this afternoon. I want to thank our phone screener, John Dunn. You've been listening to Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan. News and Public Affairs Director at WMNF Tampa. During this time slot tomorrow, Shelley Reback will host Midpoint. Coming up next is Wavemakers with Janet and Tom Sherberger. Their Wavemaker today is Michelle Detweiler, President and CEO of Park Center for Disabilities in Pinellas County, a nonprofit. This has been Tuesday Cafe coming to you live on December 12, 2023 from the studios of WMNF Tampa, St. Petersburg, Sarasota, and Lakeland. In this time slot next week, we're going to hear from the supervisors of three local school districts. So I hope you stay tuned. I hope you tune back in to Tuesday Cafe next Tuesday at 10. Thanks so much for listening and supporting WMNF.org.